Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Just uh, three weeks ago, I spoke at the First Baptist Church, believe it or not, inviting me to speak at a Baptist church in Dallas, Texas, the most famous old Baptist church in the world. The hotel was right next to it. It's downtown. They say the campus is worth a billion dollars. I walked through the campus, but I walked through the hotel on the way over there, and I heard a guy say, they must be having something big over there because there goes Jerry Jones right there. He pointed to me. I mean, I get that all the time. I've been in the airport walking through, and I see two people whispering, they're pointing at me. Finally, one of them gets enough nerve, and he comes up and says, did anybody ever tell you that you look like? And I say, yeah, Brad Pitt. Amen. <laughs> now, I want you to know it really hurts me when you laugh that way, all right. But I tell you, one of the great joys of my life is coming to be at this church. It's true. I started preaching full-time, 16 years of age, all over the country. And I've been doing that now, are you ready for this? For 69 years, preaching the gospel, amen. That's quite a time. But I want to tell you, in 69 years of preaching the gospel, with, with Joyce Meyer in Africa, I mean in India, with about a million people watching, and I got to speak one night of it, from the great churches to the smallest in the country. I've never been in a more exciting atmosphere than this place right here. This is a bad bunch, amen. It really is, really. And so, I'm really honored to be with you here tonight. I haven't got much time, and I got a four-hour sermon. I need to put it in 25 minutes, amen. Everybody that's glad it's 25 minutes, say amen. Most sinners feel that way, all right. So, but before I go, on the way out, I'm simply going to say this. I recently was commissioned by Southeastern University, where I'm the chancellor, to write my memoirs and my life story over these many years of preaching. I'm 85 years of age, so I've got a lot of stories to tell. The main thing about this book, I talk about how my dad raised me. And we're learning now that the old values, raising the kids, were the best way. And then I talk about how I raised my three children. Two of them, and really all three of them, have been earth shakers. God has used them greatly to do great things for God. There's some things that you put in kids that change their life. So this is all I'm going to say. John Maxwell, the great book man, told me that this book he read, he only reads usually the first two chapters, but he couldn't stop. And he wrote the, he read the whole book and he called me up and said, it stirred me like no book I've ever read. So we brought a limited amount, but I want every one of you try to get out there and get that book. It'll help you raise a family for God. And that's all the announcements. And if you're glad they're over, say a good amen. Yeah, all right. Heavenly Father, 
Tonight, Lord, we have a very important mission. Tonight, I stand before some of the great men of our city, I really believe. Men that can turn their city upside down. The hope of this nation, the only thing that will stop the woke movement, the only thing that will stop the putrefaction, the liberal philosophy of this nation, the socialism that sweep in this country, everything else has failed. Hollywood has failed. Universities have failed. They've all failed us. The last hope is the local church. And the local church must stand strong and the fiber that will make it be that are men and women, two-fisted men and women, well, two-fisted men, amen, who will stand up and fight for the cause of Jesus Christ. So anoint this message, I pray, in Jesus' wonderful name. Everybody said it good? Several years ago, I was invited to preach at the National Black Pastors Conference in Washington, D.C. I was the only Caucasian on the program. I said to the monitor, why in the world did you invite me? Everybody knows these black preachers are the greatest preachers in the world. You have just set me up for failure. I feel like a pygmy among giants. He said, well, Pastor, the reason we invited you is because you got a black heart. Amen. <laughs> well, I knew that I, that I knew I was in fast company with all these great preachers, so I gave it all I got. And you know, in those churches, they play music in the background. So I kind of got with it. And I began to get in the rhythm of that music. I mean, I got so excited and beside myself, I started rapping. I want you to know that. Amen. <laughs> Sitting in that audience, there was a young man who was discouraged. He was ready to quit the ministry. And he said, God, if you don't do something, I can't go on. That night, I preached the message that I'm preaching to you tonight. I have not preached this in years, except just last night, I felt led to do it. Sitting in that audience was a young man who said, God, if you just get me out of here alive. He said, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I got so excited. I'm going to be the miracle that is in this house. So I spoke on the subject, the miracle in this house. He went out and his little church was running about a hundred and it began to grow and soon he had several hundred and then he got on television and he preached and stirred the nation. Several years later, he invited him to preach at his first minister's conference. There were over 7,000 pastors there that day. He told the story about what happened to him that night and said, if I ever had my own conference, Pastor Barnett would be the first one to speak at that conference. 7,000 pastors. Oh, you might've heard of that guy. His name was T.D. Jakes. Sitting right there in that audience, there was a miracle that was in the house. And so tonight I'm on an expedition. I'm looking for the miracle in this house. You see the next great preacher, the next Billy Graham, the next Oral Roberts, the next Earthshaker, the next one that may build a great dream center, our great church in America. I'm looking for that miracle that is in this house because I believe that everybody in this building at one time or another will have an opportunity to do something that will change the world. It could be that you were in a certain place at the right time 
and the camera focuses upon you. It could be that you spoke to a young man, changed his life, and he shook the world. But everyone in this building, I believe, will have a such a time as this. And so tonight, I'm on an expedition. I am looking for the miracle in the cow. If you're interested, keep your mind open, because here we go. My message starts in 2 Kings chapter 4. In the interest of time, let me just paraphrase this scripture. There's a famine in the land. People are starving. And there's a little widow now that looks and begins to assess her possibilities. She looks at her bank account, and it's empty. She looks in her cupboard, and her cupboard's empty. All she has is a little bit of oil and meal. And two sons that even now, they're coming to take them away to pay her bills. Boy, she needs a miracle. She needs a miracle bad. When suddenly the man of God appeared on the scene, and he asked a question that I want to ask you tonight. I want you to think about it and be very careful how you answer. He said, tell me, what can I do for you? If Jesus would come and stand before you and ask you a question, look, what can I do for you? Do you really know what you want in life? Do you really know what your answer would be? Oh, we pretty well know what we don't want in our life. But what kind of a vision do you have from God? And he said to the little lady, tell me, what can I do for you? And then he followed up with this question, tell me, what you have in your house. You see, there's always something in the house. You see, we look at where we want to go. The vision that we have, and if it's God's vision, it's bigger than you. And then we look down here and see that the resources we have to get there. And compared to where we got to go, it seems like nothing. And we're tempted to say, there's nothing in the house. But let me remind you, there's always something in the house. When I was a boy, I needed money. I would gather up all the bottles and go down and sell them. I'd gather up cans and paper, take them there. You see, I discovered there was always something in the house. So when the response went out, tell me what's in the house, here's what she said. Your servant has nothing in the house. And by the way, the Bible says he that saith that he has nothing. The little that he has will be taken and given unto another. Have you ever wondered why the church that has grown for 6 to 16 in the last 16 years is losing the people that are churches that are exploding going forward? I'll tell you why. Great black singer, Ethel Waters put it this way. She said, God, don't sponsor no flops. And don't you think that God is going to invest just like the investor invests in the stocks that are making money? Don't you believe that God's going to bless the church that's winning souls, changing the nation, and turning lives around? But she said, I really don't have anything in the house. When I went to my church in Phoenix, Arizona, I'd left my church in Davenport, Iowa, and we'd grown from 76 to 
4,000 become the first mega church in the country that age. 47 buses and Johnny Cash came and we had a big rally. We had a part in his conversion and we filled the ballpark with some 30,000 people and 6,000 people were saved at the altar call. It was amazing and a wonderful time that God raised up. But now I went to Phoenix, Arizona. They'd had six pastors in 10 years. The church is running about 200 people. And I thought, what am I going to do? There's really nothing in the house but a bunch of bitter people that have fought for years within the church. My first week there, I was moving into the house when a man came from a block down who said, he was an ex-football player and he played football in the Canadian Football League and I think he played for Edmonton Eskimos and he came in and sat down and said, I've got a dream, Pastor. He stayed till two o'clock in the morning. We had no furniture. We sat on the floor. He said, someday, I want to start a ministry in our church to reach athletes. I want to get them there and get them filled with the Holy Spirit, get them born again. And he said, then I want to have a conference and bring the greatest athletes in the world and inspire them to be men of God. Stand up. And then he said, I believe that God's going to give me a complex, a track and field, and a swimming pool. And I'm bringing athletes from all over the world to train for the Olympics. I didn't know the guy. I thought this guy is the windiest guy I've ever seen in my life. I didn't believe the dream. But folks, if somebody tells you a dream that's bigger than them, don't put it down. So you know what I do? I just say, praise God. Amen. <laughs> So I said, praise God. Well, the guy got busy. He started a men's ministry. He started reaching out to athletes. And then he had his first conference, and it grew from 1,000 to two to three to five, 6,000 people. And then one day, a man gave him the Phoenix Swim and Track Club, worth millions of dollars. And he brought him athletes from all over the world and trained them for the Olympics. And at night, he got them in the Word of God and got them saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, by the way, our church, our ministry, our athletes' ministry, we qualified 15 athletes for the Sydney Olympics. Are you ready for this? We won five gold, three uh, silver, and four bronze. We won more medals than most countries. Come on, say a good amen out there. You see, sitting right there in our church, there was a miracle. And Larry Karachuk, for years, has stirred men up and athletes all over the world. And you see them now when they come on and say, I want to give the glory to God. And almost every one of those are the seed of that ministry. One day I looked out, and again I wondered, what's in the house? And I looked back, and sitting back, I later found out a man and his wife, young man, who was from Poland. When the surface is over, he ran up and said, Pastor, someday I'm going to be on your staff. I thought to myself, you'll never be on my staff. <laughs> it would be a cold place where the booger man lives before you're on my staff. I was not impressed. But he came every service. He ain't men when he... When I preached, I got the liking of the guy. He had so few amens. Amen. And then he started paying his tithes. He was looking better all the time. Amen. One day he came up to me and said, Pastor, 
How would you like to preach to 3,000 Frenchmen this summer? I said, I'd like it. He said, you're going to. I said, well, I'm not going to go to France. Oh, no, he said, they're going to be here. I thought to myself, I do not know one Frenchman in Phoenix. And if he was here in the summer, he'd be a French fry. Amen. <laughs> now, I know the jokes are bad, but if you gave better, you'd get better jokes. Amen. I was studying on a Saturday night, and the phone rang, and it was Leo. It was 11 o'clock, and I just finished my message. And Leo said, tomorrow's the day. What? Tomorrow's the day, Pastor. I thought he had some inside information on the coming of the Lord. He was so excited. <laughs> the French are going to be here. I said, really? But I got to apologize. It's not three, 300. It's not 3,000. It's 2,000, Pastor. I'm sorry, I kind of failed. Oh, I said, that's okay, Leo. I still didn't believe him. He said, will you preach the interpreter Sunday? I said, I sure will. I forgot all about it. I walked across the parking lot to the entrance and the greeters were frantic. Pastor, what are we going to do? I said, we mean the strangest people we've ever seen are here this morning. They all speak. They all speak in some foreign language. He thought they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> and that day, through his brother, who set up a great company in France where he brought over 3,000 of the biggest movers and shakers as a reward. And I preached to 2,000 Frenchmen. And when I gave the altar call, 1,600 of them came forward to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Oh. Hey, by the way, a few weeks later, I hired a new staff member. His name was Leo. Leo went on to develop one of the greatest marriage ministries that literally took him all over the world. And he was in Africa, and he spoke on television with the president about marriage. And the next days, he drove to a new city to preach. A head-on collision with a big gas truck. And four of the people, they were all killed in the audience. But Leo was the miracle that sat in the house that day. I want you to go out and said, the next thing the prophet said is I want you to go borrow empty vessels and I don't want you to get a few. What was he doing? He was working through positive expectations. God always works through positive expectation. Even when he say no, it's to open up another door that is better for the glory of God. So when I got to finish, God moved. First Sunday, instead of 200 people, 600 people showed up to see the new pastor who'd come from the fastest growing church in America, Davenport, Iowa. I thought, well, they, they won't be there next week. They just came out of Kiros. Next week, there were 800. And then it jumped over 1,000. And then we had an emergency board meeting. And we discussed the new building we got to build. The deacons wanted to build it to seat 10,000. I wanted to build it to seat 3,000 because I had to pay for the dumb thing. Amen. <laughs> Finally, I said, let's pray about it. And when we meet back, we'll make that decision. I took one of our deacons home one, down, uh, one noon. And he, when the wife was making a sandwich for both of us when she turned on the television and then 700 Club, and there was Pat Robertson. 
You know how Pat Robertson kind of shakes his head. And he said, folks, what God is doing in the land is so great that you're building your churches too small. He said, there's one pastor that particularly, you're building your church too small. And the deacon went, that's you, that's you. <laughs> but what we did was we built it to seat 6,000 people. What happened that day was we were getting ready. We were preparing a place for the empty vessels. And then he said, the next thing I want you to do, the prophet says, after you get all these vessels, get ready. And by the way, that's what you're doing. You're buying these campuses up. You're preparing a place for them to come. You've got positive expectations. Empty vessels, seats for them to come. And he said, after you get all of these vessels, you're ready. I want you to go in. And I want you to shut the door behind you. I want you to take with you your relationships, your children, those you have a relationship. And I want to pause right here to say that when God gives you a vision, be careful who you include in it. Sometime you have to go in and shut the door. You have to shut out the naysayers. You got to shut out the people that say, you can't afford it. Got to shut out the people that say, I've seen people try that and they fail. Sometimes you have to shut out relatives. You have to shut out every negative influence. And I want to talk for just a minute to the dreamers that are in this place. There are men here today who have such big dreams. They're so big that, that you're scared to tell anybody for fear they will laugh at you. And you say in your heart today, Pastor Barnett, I would be willing to give everything to accomplish this dream if I knew it was God's dream. I'd be willing to give my time, my money, and even my life. But how can I know it's God's dream? Why would I sacrifice everything if it was just my dream and not God's dream? Let me help you just a minute. Let me give you two or three ways you can decide. You can be sure pretty much that the dream is God's dream if it's bigger than you. If it is so big that everybody would say that had to be God because he wasn't big enough to pull that off. And God gets the glory. Have you noticed everybody can dream big except the people of God? Spielberg can develop a movie that will cost a million dollars, and that's okay because that's Hollywood. The Yankees can build a new stadium that will cost a billion dollars, and they'll say, well, that's okay because that's sports. I read the other day, Vegas now is finished a casino that's going to be $3 billion. And we say, that's okay, that's Vegas. But you let a man or woman, a man or woman of God get a big vision, and people will say, Let's pray for that brother. He needs a work of faith in his life. But the, the pastor and the church that is going to reach the entrepreneurs, they have to be a bigger dream than they have. Is our dream bigger than the world? Is it bigger than Hollywood? And next of all, 
You can tell if the dream is God's dream if you can't let it go. You see, dreams are lucid. At first they come to you and you have to hold tenaciously to that dream. But there comes a time that you get tired of holding on to that dream and you let go of the dream. But the dream won't let go of you. You're now a prisoner of that dream. The Bible said you're a prisoner of the hope that is in you. So you get up to announce to the world that you're going to quit. But suddenly you, you talk about going for it bigger because you're a prisoner of that dream. But here's the big problem. We think that a delay is a denial. Do you know how many years I had the dream for the Dream Center in L.A.? Now, if you don't know what the Dream Center is, you're new to it. It's a 15-story former hospital on the, high, on the Hollywood freeway with 1,500 rooms, 400,000 square feet, 900 people are living there being restored for the glory of God. We have everything there. We got drug addicts, alcoholics, human trafficking girls, and that's just the pastoral staff. Yeah, that's it. We got everything there. Amen. I mean, everything. But did you know how long I had that dream before it became to pass? 40 years. 40 years before it, I drove by and I looked at the great Angelus Temple. There was seated at that time about 6,000 people. Magnificent building right in the middle of downtown where all kinds of sin abounds. And God spoke to me and said, someday you're going to be a pastor of that church. I said, God, you really miss God on that one. Because I'm assemblies of God and they are four square and we have no dealings one with another. Isn't that pitiful? I just want to tell you the day of denomination is over. We are bound together by relationships. Come on, say a good amen. That's what it's about today. 40 years. But number three, how can I be sure my dream is God's dream? You can be sure it's God's dream if you are willing to give your life for it, to die for it. And men, let me tell you this. I am so convinced that our church that we are building, like this great church here, the church that we're building in Phoenix, in Phoenix Arizona, I'm so convinced that the Dream Center in L.A., which... For 30 years, I've gone out every week, several times a week. Yesterday, I spoke in St. Louis, Missouri at a great conference. Tomorrow and the next day, I'll be in L.A. doing work. For 30 years, I haven't taken a penny. Every penny that is given has gone to the Dream Center. And I would gladly lay down my life because I know this dream is God's dream. But where, where did this dream begin? It, it began in the heart of somebody. Where did the L.A. dream center begin? In the heart of a boy. 20 years of age, my son. I remember taking him over. And they gave us a little ghetto church right down in the heart of the worst part of L.A. 
There were 25 people left in that little place. Almost all of them are precious little Filipino people in their 80s. Most of them didn't even speak English. And I made him the pastor. He had never pastored. He didn't speak the language. I remember when I bid him goodbye. And I saw him standing on the steps of that church. I looked back and it was a pitiful little sight. I thought to myself, what have I done to this boy? There's no way he can succeed. He'll get discouraged. He won't quit the ministry. And I parked the car and I wept. God, what have I done? I remember getting the plane. Plane took off. I landed in Phoenix and the phone rang. It was Matthew. He said, Dad, you can't believe. You just drove away. And I heard gunshots and I ran to the front of the church and there sliding down the steps was a 14-year-old boy with blood pouring out of his chest. And he died in my arms and bled to death. Dad, what, what can I do? What can I do? I, I said, son, I don't know. This is new ground for both of us. We weren't trained in cross-culture evangelism. He said, well, I'm having a youth service tonight. He had not even had a Sunday service yet. So he met with the youth, just a very few, maybe six, eight, ten people. And he told what has happened, and he said, I don't really know what to do, but my dad has always taught me, when you don't know what to do, take an offering. Amen. <laughs> so he took an offering, and he got about $16. And he went across the street where that little boy lived, knocked on the door. The precious Latino lady came to the door of the mother. And he said, I'm the pastor. My heart grieves. I loved your boy. I only knew him a day, but... Oh, what a sweet boy. It's not much, but we've taken up a little offering to help you. And she said, come in, Padre. He'd never been called Padre before, but the place was filled with gang members. They would run up to her and say, we're sorry. And she would slap them and curse them and say, you killed my boy. You got him killed. Matthew said tension was high, and I felt led to leave. When he got to the door, he put his hand on the handle And suddenly a big old hand hit him in the back, spun him around. He's looking in the face of the meanest gang member he'd ever seen. He said, Dad, I felt like saying, Lord, I'm coming home. <laughs> when the gang member said, Padre, before you leave, would you pray for us? And they formed a circle. And Matthew began to pray a nice little Christian prayer. Lord, bless the birds and the bees and the trees and the leaves on the trees and Suddenly the Holy Spirit said, could be in a wimp. And suddenly he said, in the name of Jesus, I come against these gangs. I come against this slaughter. I resist it and rebuke it and call it out in the name of Jesus. And he said, on his left side, the guy began to squeeze his hand on the right hand. And Matthew thought they're going to kill me, so he prayed a long prayer. <laughs> he thought, I'm going to be in Fox's Book of Martyrs. But when he finished, they raised his hands and said, you're one of us. And he led them all to Jesus Christ. Now time, I've only got a minute. So let me tell you what happened. Revival broke. Crowds began to come. He built a basketball courts and a, a wrestling a, for the boxing ring. He put weights out. I did, people began to, I've never seen so much leather in all of my life. The Bible said, uh, 
Preach the gospel to every creature. Boy, we had creatures there. Amen. And I remember, I'd never seen so many earrings. They were here and here and here here here. I didn't even ask where the rest of them were. They were everywhere. But I watched it begin to change. I wish I had time to tell you that we found the Queen of Angels Hospital. And today, there is a vibrant work. The point I want to say is this, and I'm done. When I was in Davenport, Iowa, I had these two boys. We didn't have much money. We built all the buildings there ourselves. The men would work all day, and I'd do the preacher work all day. And then we'd meet at nighttime about 6 and work till midnight in cold Iowa weather. So every night, I'd go down. And one day, my boy said, Dad, can we go with you? I said, well, I'm just going to be working all night. But tonight, I have a board meeting. They said, well, at least we get to be with you going and coming home. And I said, okay, boys. So I put them in the car. and We went to the gymnasium that we had, and they gave them the basketball, and they began to play. And the board meeting, we had big things to discuss that night about the building. It went very late, and I forgot all about my boys over there. When the board meeting was over, open the door, and there was Luke and Matthew covered with choir robes to keep them warm. And their ear was right next to the door to drop in on the board meeting. Boy, I'm touched now. I took the boys and put them in the car. Luke put his head on my, on, on my lap, sound asleep. When I got home, I took Matthew up, and my youngest one, and put him in the bed. Kissed him goodnight. Old sleepyhead never woke up. Picked up Luke, took him upstairs, put him in the bed. Told him I loved him. And he looked up to me and said, Dad, I want you to know, tonight was one of the most wonderful nights I've ever been. I got to spend some time with you. And I said, son, I hope you realize that I'm not away because I want to. I want America to stay strong. I, I want you to enjoy things that I enjoy, like playing baseball and basketball. And that's why I go day and night. And my heart's broke now. And I begin to pray, oh God. You remember, I used to want to have a boy. I wouldn't even be a great athlete and look as God. I wouldn't even be handsome, and he's the most handsome boy I've seen. I wanted him to love me. And he loves me more than I could ever imagine. Oh, God. I've given everything to you, my time, my talent, my money. But I'm going to do something tonight, Lord, that for some reason I failed to do. I'm going to give you my son Luke and Matthew. And suddenly, before I could say amen, I heard his little voice say, Dear God, Tonight you hurt my daddy. He gave me to you, and you know I love him, and I know how much I love to be with him. But dad, I'm going to give my dad to you tonight. And that night we hugged, we embraced, we shed tears. 
And that might have been one of the greatest moments of our life, the miracle. Phoenix is exploding under the, his ministry. Matthew, there's 250 dream centers all over the world that stirred the world. But that's where it was born. There may be a miracle set in your house. Do not neglect your children. Give them time. Go to their ball games. I went to their football practices even. I traveled all over the state to their wrestling matches and their basketball games and little mining towns. I almost got in fights everywhere I went because I was so loud. Amen. <laughs> Lucky for them, they never attacked me. Amen. <laughs> My time is up, Father. I thank you for giving me the attention of these men. We're just calling on them to be men of God, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus that they'll walk out of this place and love their wife more and love their children more. Realize that in their house there might be a miracle. There might be a Luke or Matthew or Christie. In that house, the next great person comes along. And when they get old like me, they can just clip off the coupons of the blessings of be with these wonderful men. I love them, Lord, but you love them more. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.